Amazing. I just want to say to Amina Davis from our Charleston campus, Carla Walpole from right here in Anderson, you both are treasures to our church and to the kingdom of God. And we love you, we appreciate you, and we believe in you. Thank you for doing that video so much. Wasn't that wonderful, you guys? That's amazing. Y'all, welcome, everybody. Week two of our Women in Jesus series. My name is Lee McDermott, and uh, I've been on staff here at New Spring Church for 21 years. It's amazing. I know. I've, I, uh, um, I'm just so grateful. I've had the honor of serving here for that long, and I'm excited to share it with you guys today. Uh, if you would, let's go ahead and grab a Bible analog, digital, whatever your preference is. It doesn't matter. Go ahead and grab that thing. Let's turn to John chapter 4. We're going to look at the story of the woman at the well today. So every campus, go ahead and grab your Bible, and uh, let's pray together as we dive in this morning. Father, I'm so grateful. So grateful for your church. So grateful for your word. So grateful for, most of all, your presence here with us. And Jesus, you're the head of this church. And we give you first place, all of our attention and all of our surrender and allegiance in this moment. So God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, oh God, my rock and my redeemer, for the glory of your name. Everybody said, amen. Come on, somebody. All right, y'all. So last week, Pastor Brad kicked everything off, and I want to reiterate a couple of things that he brought forward as a way to start off with us. So firstly, If you remember, we're approaching this series from the idea that Jesus is perfect theology. Uh, Raise your hand at every campus if if you're following along with the year of the Bible reading plan with us at New Springs. There's a lot of folks here in the room, every campus. So today's reading was Isaiah 65 and 66 and Colossians chapter 2 that illustrates this idea that Jesus is perfect theology. That Colossians passage says that for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Everything you want to know about God, right there in Jesus. And also in Hebrews, we say, uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, um, for he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We see that again here time and again in Scripture, that Jesus is everything we need to know about God, the life, universe, everything. So, As we consider the value, purpose, and place of women, we come to Jesus to think correctly about it. So secondly, I want to reiterate something that Brad brought up last week as well, is that Jesus spent his ministry, one aspect of it, one critical aspect of it, was moving women from commodity to co-heir. Commodity to co-heir. 1 Peter chapter 3 gives a really helpful verse that illustrates this, and it says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to her as the more delicate vessel, because she is co-heirs with you in the grace of life. And this very important tag at the end, and so that your prayers won't be hindered. I mean, that's just pro tip for all you husbands out there. That's a great passage to, to keep in mind. So it's from those two points that I really want to begin as we like dive into to John chapter 4 today. Jesus is perfect theology. We're looking to his life, the things that he says, in order to think correctly. And we're looking at the fact that he's bringing women from commodity to co-heir. So, I really believe with my whole heart, everyone, if you are here today, and maybe, you know, you don't exactly know why, I mean, it's just another routine Sunday, you are not here by accident. Especially every woman who is here today, God has a special encounter for you today. That Jesus, I believe, went out of his way to come and sit next to this new spring, this well, 
to have a conversation with someone today, to have a conversation with you. And so as we think about that, I want to I wanna feel the weight of that for each and every one of you, that Jesus came here to meet with you today. So let's dive into verse 1. Let's just see what Jesus might have to say to us. I've got three points for us today. We're going to walk through the whole passage of Scripture, and I'll make a few comments as we go along. Let's look at uh, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So right off the bat, you see a couple of really key and brilliant leadership principles displayed in the life of Jesus. If any of you guys are business owners or managers of people, you want to pay special attention to the life of Jesus and how he led, because he led perfectly. You see right here at the top, he is delegating authority to his disciples to baptize other people, and he has tremendous discipline when it comes to uh, the onset of fame and notoriety. Look at this. The Pharisees were buzzing about the fact that this man named Jesus was all of a sudden drawing a bigger crowd than that crazy John the Baptist, right? So when Jesus heard about this buzz, he immediately left the scene. Why would a leader ever move away from more fame and influence precisely when it directly interferes with the primary mission? Jesus is instructing us all, every leader, especially every ministry leader, to depart when the magnetic draw of celebrity threatens to take you off of the real mission. Everybody needs to pay attention to that. If you are a leader, you can find no better instructor than Jesus. Verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. Why say he had to? As if there was any other way around it. He certainly didn't have to. Even though Samaria was on the way directionally, it would have been absolutely abhorrent for Jews to make the journey that way. Samaritans were perceived by Jews to be ethnic half-breeds, people who sided with Judah's enemies. They could trace their racial roots back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but there was extreme division and racial prejudice there. Jews hated Samaritans more than anyone, even the Romans. And Jews most likely would have avoided this route through Samaria, choosing to travel east of the Jordan as they went from Judea to Galilee. Certainly, y'all, the reason why Jesus had to pass through Samaria was because he had received a special assignment and mission from God. Verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. If you want to make a note here, Genesis 48 verse 22 is that moment in the Bible where Jacob bequeaths this plot of land to his son Joseph. So this town called Sychar at this moment in history was in the same spot as the ancient town of Shechem. This is very interesting to me because so much happened historically at this, at this same place. In Genesis chapter 12, we see Shechem as the first stop for Abraham as he's coming to the promised land. And it's at that place where God spoke to him and said, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. In Genesis 33 and 34, we see Jacob and his family returning to the promised land, stopping at Shechem. In Deuteronomy, the people of Israel coming out of Egypt stop at Shechem to declare the blessings and curses found in the law of God. And in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua gives the famous "As for me and my house speech from this exact spot in Shechem. This was a local, regional capital. It was a place of no small consequences. Big deal. Verse 6. So Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jacob, the patriarch back in the day, would have dug this well outside the city as he temporarily temporarily settled there. You can read that story in Genesis 33. 
The well was unique in this fact that it was not a, just a, a cistern carved out of the ground to hold rainwater. It was, it was actually a natural artesian spring uh, that was dug out over you know, 4,000 years ago. If you go to Nablus in the West Bank in Israel, you can go to that town. There's a little Orthodox church and Jacob's well. This same spot is right there in the middle of that old church. So look at this verse too. It says, Jesus was wearied from his journey. Think about this. I mean, what a wonderful picture of God who became a man Wearied as any one of us would be from a long journey on foot in the heat, just sitting beside a well at noon. That would have been the sixth hour from daylight would have been about noon. So now that we got the scene set, let's watch what happens in this interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. But Jesus makes the first move here. So write this down. Point number one, Jesus would like to speak with you. Jesus would like to speak with you. He makes the first move here. So everyone, I, I, I want you to understand something. That he's doing the same thing today. He has come here to this new spring of all places, out of his way to meet with you. To have an encounter with you. To have a conversation. Like I said earlier, this is not just some routine. This is just what you do on the weekend. This is an important moment of encounter for you and the God of the universe. How will you respond today? Let's look at how she responded. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So right here we learn several things about her from how she responds to Jesus. All he asked of her was for a drink of water, and immediately she goes into defense mode. She clearly understood the societal rules of the day. Think about this. He says, can you give me a drink? How can you ask me for a drink right now? I mean, it's like, whoa. She knew it was not socially okay for him to be speaking with her. So you can kind of tell her adrenaline probably spiked up right there with some suspicion thinking, am I in a trap right now? It's like there are hidden cameras around here somewhere about to you know, catch me talking to this Jewish man. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he had given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus responds very gently here, slowly opening the door to reveal his true identity and to offer salvation to her. But she responds, can you see, in the same suspicious manner, clearly missing what he's really saying. But she asks this question at the core of her heart that gives us a clue to what's going on in there. She asks this question, are you greater than our father Jacob? If you go back in time to that place at Shechem, in Genesis 34, it records an extremely tragic story. Jacob, at this point, has 11 sons and a daughter named Dinah. As they traveled to the promised land, they stopped outside of Shechem, dug that well, and set up camp. And one day, as Dinah was going into town, she was kidnapped and raped by the prince of the city. And when Jacob heard about it, he did nothing. He said 
nothing. The leader of the city then came out to Jacob to bargain with him over Dinah because his son, the rapist, wanted to keep her in his house. This was all a ploy to establish trade relations and to manipulate Jacob's family for their wealth. Dinah was just a commodity to our own father Jacob and to the men of the city. But when Dinah's uh, brothers came back from tending the flocks, they, as you can imagine, were outraged. So they deceived the men of the city, took up swords, and then killed them all in bloody vengeance. You see how this spiraled out of control. Jacob then only spoke up, finally, to rebuke Dinah's brothers for the bad reputation they brought on him because of their violence. And their response was, should our sister be treated like a whore? Look, y'all, we all know this. Fathers are supposed to defend their daughters, to speak up for them. But Jacob failed. So the woman at the well asks Jesus, are you greater than our father Jacob? We know the answer to be yes. She asks, are you greater than our father Jacob? You want to speak to me, Jesus, but will you speak up for me? Jacob provided water for his family right here. Are you telling me that you got a better well than this one? You got something better than this? Are you better than him? Point number two, write this down. Jesus would like to give you something that no one and nothing else can. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, we got to pause right here and have a cultural moment. I mean, on the one hand, there's thirsty, and on the other hand, there is thirsty. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The young people might know about it. You might need to, to tell your parents what thirsty really is. So you can be thirsty because you're dehydrated and you need a glass of water, and then you can be thirsty because you're trying to find the right hookup on your dating app or on Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. You can be thirsty uh, by chasing one more promotion or raise at work. Uh-oh. You can be thirsty by trying to attain the life of the latest influencer you're following on Instagram. You can be thirsty by trying to live out your hopes and dreams through the lives of your children. Hmm. There's thirsty, and then there is thirsty. So we're all thirsty. Men, women, all of us. We have a deep need inside, a well down there that is dry. And Jesus came to quench the real deep need. So Jesus again responds so gently, saying the water from this well will not satisfy, but if you let me in, I have something better. He tells her something mysterious. If you drink the water from this well, you'll be thirsty again. It won't satisfy. But if you drink from what I'm pouring, not only will your thirst be quenched, but my water will transform you into a spring. That word welling up, that's in the text, that word welling up, it's only used two other times in the New Testament, both in the book of Acts to describe what happens to a person when they are lame and they get healed, leaping up. That's where, where that comes from. This is what Jesus offers to her to not only have her thirst quenched, but to become a well that leaps up, not just some calm place where there's some fresh water, but an overflowing stream, an overflowing river of life. Even though she misses the point again, thinking only in natural realities, can you kind of tell her heart's beginning to open a little bit to him? Verse 16. Jesus said to her, 
go call your husband and come here. 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. So y'all, this is one of the best examples of the gift of prophecy and action, specifically a word of knowledge, which is basically like you're talking to someone, God gives you this download of some information about them that you could not know any other way, and its purpose is for their edification, encouragement, or, or comfort. That's what that, that's what that gift is. And Jesus, with such patience and gentleness, reads this woman's mail, telling her a thing there's no way he could know unless God spoke to him. The revelation helps us understand where she's coming from. Five husbands living with her current boyfriend. That's why she's coming to get water in the heat of the day, isolated by shame from the other women of the town who would have come together to get water in the cool of the morning as a social thing. That's why she would have answered with such suspicion. That's why she might be so skittish, so suspicious in this conversation. So I wonder if there's anyone here today who's ever been disappointed. Maybe, in the last two years. Any disappointment in the room in the last two years? Anyone honest enough to admit that they've been let down by others, by yourself, maybe by God? Maybe not just once, but maybe like, I don't know, five times, maybe six? You got your hopes up only to have the bottom fall out? Well, that will make you put up walls of self-protection and get looped into cycles of self-destruction. And will make you so anxious, so depressed, so filled with shame and fear that you'll spend your days medicating or simply going through the motions, waiting for the next day in a long journey of despair. What if I told you that Jesus knows? He knows. And he sees. It doesn't scare him away. But what it does is, I mean, he pulls up honest to look you in the face and to address that. And to say, I'm here. I'd like to talk with you. He's still here. He's waiting to speak with you. He wants to give you something that none of those other quote-unquote husbands could give. He wants to give you a hope that will never fail. And you don't have to be afraid of what he knows about you. Man, don't you wish you could have seen the woman at the well's face when he drops the five husbands thing on her? I mean, wow, shock, surprise. Verse 19, check this out. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that's the place where people ought to worship. So she states the obvious here and then tries to change the subject. Clearly, Jesus was getting a little too close for comfort. 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus is not impatient with her response. When she changes the subject, he just moves with her, patiently answering her question. Now check this out. His answer echoes another moment in history that was recorded in the same spot at Shechem. In Joshua chapter 24, as the nation of Israel comes out of Egypt to enter the promised land, Joshua stands in that very place near Shechem and charges the people to choose to worship God in sincerity and truth. Sound familiar? Amazing. It's very likely that the woman at the well would have heard this story as a child 
and would have felt the ancient echo of a man named Yeshua, Joshua, as she is now listening to the man who is God, Yeshua, Jesus, speaking before her, inviting her into worship in spirit and in truth. 25. The woman said to him, I know Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the reveal. Jesus chooses this moment to fully reveal himself to her. And she is the first, the first person given the privilege to see Jesus for who he truly is. A Samaritan, a woman, a woman who has burned through five marriages and is now living in sin. She is the one who gets to be first. Not the disciples, not the religious leaders, not the emperor. So let me ask you this question. My sisters, do you think that your pain, your past, your ethnicity, your social status, your education or lack of it exclude you from a world-changing encounter with Jesus? Think again. Think again. Verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? I love the drama of this story. Just picture the scene. Her conversation with Jesus has now reached its pinnacle with this revelation that he's indeed the Messiah. And before she can say or do anything in response, the disciples walk up. Can you imagine the awkward silence right there at that moment? They're just as shocked to see Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman as she was initially. But they knew enough by this point to keep their mouth shut and not say anything stupid, which I think is brilliant. So think back now to Dinah's story of Genesis 34, the tremendous reversal of the scene here at the, with the woman at the well. So in that earlier one, Genesis 34, Jacob is silent, but the 11 brothers, they start chirping, take up swords, and go kill everybody in, in bloody vengeance. But here, the better Jacob Jesus Christ himself speaks up, and those 12 brothers, those 12 disciples, they can't say a word. He speaks up with redemption. Redemption. He redeems not just her, but the entire story. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar, went away into town, said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. When Jesus reveals himself, everything changes. All her past, all her pain, all her despair and suspicion, every single hope deferred, all of that just dissolves in one encounter with Jesus. She had drank from the true well, and now what was happening? Everything inside her, all that life was now leaping out to go and quench the thirst of a whole town full of thirsty people. Point number three, Jesus would like to change the world with you. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for the harvest. The woman has run back into town by this point behind the disciples. So imagine Jesus still sitting at the well, pointing beyond them, saying, look at the fields, white for harvest, all these people coming. The woman who is now the well, the spring was overflowing with living water. Verse 36, Jesus continues, already the one who reaps, look at her, look at her guys, the one who reaps. 
is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower, me, the Messiah, the sower and the reaper might rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor and you're about to enter into hers. Imagine Jesus pointing at her, pointing at her with the crowd saying, the one who reaps pointing then at himself, saying the one who sows, moving toward the oncoming crowd. Man, what if she could even hear him say, the sower and the reaper, we rejoice together. My sisters, Jesus wants you. He wants you. Not just to save you, to quench your thirst. He wants to rejoice with you in his mission. He wants to not only move you from commodity to co-heir, but also to co-laborer. Commodity to co-heir to co-laborer. There is, there's a particular kind of joy that you experience with someone whenever you work with them, whenever you accomplish something with them. Adventuring with someone. Man, think about this. What kind of God is this who does not need our help, but he refuses to change the world without us? He is a God who is after his own joy and your joy. He is going to change the world and he would like to do it with you. Not for fame or money or influence or even simple accomplishment, but to share his joy with you in the glory of God. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Can you imagine what joy, wonder must have exploded in that town among Jesus, the woman, the disciples? Can you imagine what walls of racism and ethnic division must have come tumbling down. Can you imagine all of her old past just thrown out and people are valuing her and saying, look, you're the one who told us about him. Think about history rewritten all in a moment, all with Jesus. Everyone, he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and he's gone out of his way to meet with someone today Perhaps someone no one would consider evangelist material. Someone with no platform, no seminary degree, no ministry credentials. Someone whose only sermon is their own testimony. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. He came to speak with you today. To offer you something no one else can. And to invite you to change the world with him. So, whatever became of the woman at the well after all of this? Church history tells us that after that encounter with Jesus, her whole family got saved, and she became one of the most influential evangelists of the early church. Tradition tells us that her name was Fotini, which means light. It means a brilliant one. Here's a, a picture. She witnessed to people so powerfully that she was eventually persecuted for her faith, brought before the emperor Nero, who demanded that she renounce her faith and worship idols or be executed. But she chose Christ bravely to the end and was martyred by being thrown down a well, as tradition says, in A.D. 66. 
Only Jesus can turn the world upside down like that. Moving women from commodity to co-heir to co-laborer. And friends, he wants to do it again. He wants to do it again. He is here right now, and he would like to speak with you. So would you open your heart, perhaps, to have a conversation with him? With him seated here beside this well. You're here. He's here. He would like to talk with you. I wonder, would you be willing to listen? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are a God who speaks. And Jesus, I marvel at this story of how you poured out your whole heart and your love on this one Samaritan woman with the checkered past. And you showed her your face. You let her hear your voice. Would you come now? And would you speak? We are listening. As we take a few moments in quiet, for everyone here in this room, man and woman, Jesus is here, and he would like to talk with you. Let's take a few moments to listen. Whatever comes into your mind over the next couple of minutes, would you just write it down? He may want to tell you something so specific to your situation. He may want to read your mail, just like that Samaritan woman. He may want to pour a little water down the dry well of your heart. Let's take just a few moments to listen to him speak. He is here. What's he saying? What's he saying to you? You can hear his voice. You can hear him. believe there to be perhaps a woman who has clenched her fist and held on so tightly to the hope that perhaps her dad would say the one thing she's been desperate her whole life to hear him say. And Jesus is here today to invite you to open your hands and to let that go. Because he would like to tell you, he would like to tell you that. He would like to introduce you to a heavenly father who has the words of life that you've been needing to hear your whole life. I think there's somebody here who is dealing with, with physical illness, some sickness, and it has created one get your hopes up and then crash after another and you are about to give up. Hear your Messiah today say, don't give up. I love you, don't give up. What's God saying?
Jesus, I thank you for your words. I thank you for how you've been speaking here at every campus. As someone listening online right now is hearing the voice of God. Scriptures are coming to mind. Images, you're, you're whispering to your people. I thank you, God. And so now I'd like to, to do something a little bit different. I'd like to invite every woman who has given your life to Christ, every woman young and old, to stand to your feet. Men, you can remain seated. Every campus, ladies, would you stand? Jesus would like to change the world through you. As we were thinking about what would this moment be like, as we're thinking about this series, Women and Jesus, it became so apparent that the Holy Spirit wanted to give us a moment of commissioning for all of you. This is your moment. The harvest of revival is on the doorstep. And Jesus commanded his disciples to pray for laborers to go into that harvest. And think about the woman at the well. She was the reaper to whom Jesus said, look, the reaper's already earning wages and the joy of partnering with me. My sisters, this is your moment. All you need is your testimony. In this moment in history, think about it. Who is going to tell you to be silent? Who is going to tell you to be quiet? God himself has paved the way for you to speak up about the man who told you everything. The man whose voice you've heard. The man whose words leap off the page. This is your moment. This is the critical moment in history to where all of a sudden a shift is going to happen. And you are going to feel the wind of the Holy Spirit empowering your words as you walk down the hallway in your home, in your business, in your class, in the grocery store, wherever you are. Wherever you are, the gospel is moving with you in a powerful way. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need high education or experience when it comes to witnessing to people. All you need is your testimony. Your testimony is all it takes, and you have what it takes. The kingdom will not advance without you, my sisters. The kingdom is advancing. And Jesus is here inviting you to change the world. So would you hold your hands out? I want to commission you and bless you. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I bless you with a fresh filling of his spirit and with all boldness to take the word of the gospel to the ends of the earth and through the halls of your own home. May you be blessed with ears to hear the voice of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, we praise you and we honor you. You are the one who redeems, who returns us to your original intention. You bought us back by your blood on the cross. We are free. We are free indeed. And so now in this moment, men, join us. Stand together every campus. Come on, brothers. It is time for us to lift our voices to the king who saved us, who redeemed us, who declared us free. It is now time to raise this hallelujah, this praise the Lord. Because Jesus' kingdom is advancing. My brothers and sisters, let us sing together now. We praise you, God. Amen.